united in a spirit of prayer this blessed and beautiful morning. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for the great grace of peace in our land and, and peace within our hearts. And Heavenly Father, we thank Thee that we can gather together with Thy children before Thy Holy Word. And we pray, Heavenly Father, that Thy Holy Spirit would be present with us and that is present with us in our hearts and in our midst here, that our gathering together be not in vain, but that we might hear from thy word thy truths, and that thy word would be so revealed, dear Father, that it might benefit each and every heart, for thy word is as the rain that falls upon the earth. And it does not return unto thee void, but it accomplisheth that unto which thou hast sent it. We pray, therefore, that thy word would be effectual. We pray that thou would anoint the lips of the brothers that are to speak and be mouthpieces for thy word this morning, Heavenly Father. And we ask thy grace in this, that the many that are aged, the many that are ill and suffering, and we believe that there are many who are suffering in spirit, even in our own midst as well as wherever uh, thy Christians are that there are trials that are not apparent outwardly, but they are known only to those and unto thee, Heavenly Father. When the burdens of life and the trials of life are so heavy, and when there's a bonds and imprisonments of the spirit and heart, that, that souls cannot look up unto thee and unto thy free grace because of the bondage that they are in, because of the the prisons, because of the trials and the oppressions of life, the oppressions of Satan, the temptations of sin, the oppressions of the world, and the trials and temptations that are so common and, and that so easily beset us and upset us. So, Heavenly Father, Thou knowest all these. We ask then that Thou would bless, that Thou would uplift, that Thou would call them unto the hearing of Thy word that they may be strengthened both in body and in spirit, all that suffer. Be mindful, Heavenly Father, of our children and our little toddlers. We covet thy, thy guidance and thy protection, the guardian angels that each one of them have, that they would be ever-present to protect them from undue suffering and danger and harm. Those that are laboring in the heat of the day, raising their families and, and struggling under the burdens of of uh, sweat, toil, and tears. Heavenly Father, be with them. 
and reveal unto their heart that their labor is not in vain, but that with thy blessing that each day is lighter, so be with them and comfort them. And we ask, even as Jesus has so perfectly taught us, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We have the opportunity to have the elder brother or the brother with us, uh, Earl Kaudela, from, I believe it's Alston, Michigan, is that correct? Yeah. And uh, he was uh, rather abruptly asked to come up here, but he says that that was okay too. So uh, he will speak first, and then the elder brother, Wilfred Sikola, will be speaking then second. Our next song is song number 75 in the big book.
Grace, mercy, and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ be multiplied among us this morning hour of God's grace and ever henceforth. Amen. I'd like to bring you greetings of God's children from the Upper Peninsula of Michigan. We've been here in the East now for a better part of two weeks, and many of the children of God who knew we were coming this way asked us to convey their greetings if we should happen to be in the company of Christians, and we gladly, of course, share those greetings, just as we desire that we would be greeted this morning from the very heart of our Heavenly Father. For our meditation this morning, shall we turn to a gospel text for this Sunday as recorded in the gospel according to St. Luke in chapter 12, and we will begin reading from verse 13 and continue reading through verse 21. That's Luke 12 verse 13, and we will read those verses in Jesus' name as follows. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he inherit, that he divide the inheritance with me. And he said unto him, Man, who hath made me a judge or a divider over you? And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room where to bestow my fruits? And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Amen. May the Lord bless the reading of his word and our meditation upon that word as well. We see from the opening verse of our text how scattered our own thinking can be and how we can be so lost in our own thoughts we can be so lost in the desires of this natural portion that we miss even the precious word that the Lord desires to share with us. If we look earlier into chapter 12, we see that Jesus has been giving much instruction to his disciples, to those who are gathered there with him, as we read in the very first verse of this chapter. In the meantime, when there were gathered together an innumerable multitude of people, Jesus began to speak, and he shares many precious thoughts with them. And among them are the thoughts of how close we are to the Heavenly Father, so close that he even knows how many hairs we have upon our heads. For he, Jesus says, but even the very hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore. Fear not, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. And then, no sooner had Jesus concluded uh, his talk, then one of the company asks him about a very earthly matter. Sir, or rather master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Oh, how important it is for us when we have gathered, even as we have this morning, that we have prayed that the Lord would have opened our ears so that we are truly able to hear his word. How important it is that we pray that the Lord would take away from our minds, even for this brief time, those cares of this present world. For we know, even as we have heard from our text, that we have treasures to gather even this morning, heavenly treasures. 
And oh, that these earthly cares and concerns, that these earthly treasures would not cloud our vision so that we are unable to see those treasures that the Lord desires to bless us with. We know that we are often concerned about the here and now, even as properly in many ways we should be. By the sweat of our brows, we earn our bread. We have to earn a living, and we have to make our way in this world. But the teaching of Scripture is such that we do not worry unnecessarily about such things. For the Lord will provide for us. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount. And all these other things will be added onto you. And so we pray that we might have the proper perspective that we need to have about these earthly matters and these earthly concerns so that we might have the time in our lives to press into the Word of God, so that we might have the time in our lives to come to worship services, so that we might have the time when we are gathered together in the worship service to press into the Word of God with that prayer that He would reveal His will and His way unto us, so that we don't have questions such as this, as this man did, Master, speak to my brother, that he divide the inheritance with me. Jesus speaks to him very directly, as he speaks to us also many times, very directly, when he notices that there is something upon our hearts that should not be there. We know that the Lord Jesus, through his word, as the Spirit divides that word into our hearts, speaks to us about that matter, asks us to take a second look, even as James speaks to us of the importance of being not only hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. So we look even this morning, hour of God's grace, into the perfect mirror of his word. And we pray that even as we notice the condition of our hearts, that we may might take care of those spiritual matters while it is still day, for we know that the night is soon coming when no man worketh. And so how important it is that we uh, lay aside all those weights and sins that hinder us so that we are able to walk with the fullness of joy and in the fullness of confidence upon that way of life that the Lord has revealed to us. And we know that is the way of Jesus Christ, for he has said, I am the, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And so we desire that we might be walking together in that way, the way of the Lord Jesus Christ, the way that he reveals to us, even as he speaks to us through this word, even this morning. And Jesus asks this man this question, Man, who made me a judge or a divider over you? And that, of course, is an important question that is asked of this man. What are you trying to make of me? As we speak with the Lord this morning, even in our prayers, as we talk to the Lord, what kind of a Lord are we speaking to? Are we speaking to the one who is the, uh, the bishop and the shepherd of our souls? Is that our major concern as it needs to be? Gospel text for last Sunday dealt with uh, portions of the Lord's Prayer. And as we look at the Lord's Prayer, we notice in those seven petitions that six of them very specifically speak about our spiritual welfare and of how important it is that we pray that spiritually we might be nourished, that we might be fed spiritually that we might be walking with the Lord. One petition speaks to the needs of our daily lives, even as we know that it speaks to the spiritual bread that we need, but it also speaks to us of this life and of all those things that we need. And so the Lord 
desires to set a perspective for us that our major concern needs to be our spiritual welfare, that we would seek after that which he so gladly provides for us. Jesus, in the Gospel of John, as we find recorded, even as he is there before Pilate, and Jesus speaks to Pilate in this way, my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. We know that there were so many in Jesus' own day who were looking for an earthly savior, one who would provide them with political benefits, would provide them with natural benefits of some kind. But Jesus came to bring us treasures that are far above these natural concerns that we have, heavenly treasures. His kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, he tells Pilate, then would my servants fight that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now is my kingdom not from hence. Jesus desired that he would do the complete and perfect will of God, that he would give himself, even though the task was not easy. But yet, as we recall the events in the Garden of Gethsemane, even as we have sung this morning, that hour in Gethsemane that was so filled, those hours in Gethsemane, the time that Jesus spent in Gethsemane that was so filled with anguish and pain because of your sin and because of my sin, we know that the physical agony that Jesus suffered, even on the cross, was intense. We know that the death on the cross is one of the cruelest ways to die. But we know that the spiritual anguish that he suffered because of our sins was even much greater. He felt the separation, you see, from God. Those lonely words echo down even today from Calvary's hill. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You and I do not need to feel that we are forsaken. But rather we feel ourselves even this morning by arms of grace as we press into this word, drawn closer, ever closer to the bosom of the Heavenly Father, where we are nurtured, where we are fed, where we are taken care of. We do not need to suffer that kind of separation that Jesus even suffered on our behalf. And Jesus tells Pilate also why he came. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. That was Jesus' mission, to bear witness of the truth, cost what it might cost, feel what it might feel. He surrendered all, and isn't that our mission as well? As Jesus commissioned his disciples, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. We also have been sent out to be the ambassadors of peace and joy, to be the witnesses of the crucified, resurrected, and risen Lord Jesus Christ in this sin-darkened world, so that others also might come to know the truth, and by that truth to be set free. Jesus gave his all. So we also pray that our concern might be that we also might be faithful witnesses of that which he has done and of that which he is able to do and accomplish in the human heart even today. Jesus affirms here in John that everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. It is, isn't that a comfort to us? If we are in the truth, if we are in the Lord Jesus Christ, if, as we are his children, we know that even this morning we do not hear a human voice, 
but rather we hear the Master's voice within our heart of hearts as he speaks to us through the Word, as the Spirit divides that Word into our hearts, so that we also know why Jesus came. Jesus came so that I might have that glorious inheritance that is from above. Yes, these earthly inheritances are nice, and they have their place, but they should not have the first place in our hearts and in our lives. That's not how we measure success. Notice how we read in verse 15 of our text, And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. And oh, how often we have this so topsy-turvy in our hearts, don't we? At least our flesh does. This flesh does. And we look into the world. How does the world measure success? The world measures success by prestige, by money, by how well one has done, in quotation marks, how well one has done in this world. But we know that even though the Lord might bless us with earthly goods, yet we know that those are not the abundant blessings that our hearts, our souls seek after. And we are cautioned so often in Scripture about covetousness and about the danger of fastening our eyes upon that which this world is able to provide for us. One of the epistle texts for this Sunday is in the, in the um, Colossians. Paul's epistle to the Colossians in chapter 3, where he speaks to us of, as God's children who have been risen with Christ and who seek those things which are above and who set our affections on things above, not on things on the earth. And he speaks there of how we are. In verse 5 of Colossians 3, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Isn't that something? Covetousness, which is idolatry. Oh, that we would not begin to measure our success in our lives. And that we would take Jesus' words to heart as he tells us, Beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. That's Jesus who is speaking to us this morning. Oh, that we might be able to understand his word correctly. And in order to press this matter home, Jesus shares a short uh, story or parable with those who are there with him. And he speaks in this way. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. That's the flesh of man, isn't it? We don't dare to boast, because we know what our own fleshly nature is like. But we thank and praise God that as his children, he has given us his spirit. And we know that it is through the power of the spirit that we are able to live even what we often call resurrection lives, or we are able to mortify, that is, deaden these members so that we are not possessed by this covetousness, and so that we are able to understand the in- intent of 
the words even that the apostle writes in another portion where he writes, godliness with contentment is great gain. We understand that. We know that. Oh, that we also might be able to act in such ways. This man sees a great harvest. The Lord has blessed him with all kinds of material and natural blessings. But because his heart is not with the Lord, he's unable to think of what else to do with that which the Lord has given to him. So all he can think of is this. I'll build greater and bigger barns, and I'll take it easy for the rest of my life. He thought that he had it made, you see. But that's not the way, as we understand from this story, this parable, that's not the way that things turned out. And he, we know, as we read later, what happened to him. Oh, that the Lord would give us hearts even as the same kind of heart that he gave to Moses as we read that wonderful chapter of faith in the book of Hebrews. He speaks of Moses who walked by faith, even as we walk by faith as God's children today. We read, by faith, Moses, when he came to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season, esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. We often gloss over these passages in Scripture. Perhaps I shouldn't point any fingers. I know that I have many times. And the thought in our hearts is, well, that was Moses. He was specially set aside by God. But we forget that Moses, along with all of the others that we read of in Scripture, were flesh and blood, just as we are. And to think of what Moses gave up in the natural sense. He gave up the riches of Egypt. He was raised as Pharaoh's daughter's son. He received the education comparable to any education that the princes of that day received. We read, some historians have postulated, for example, that it's, it's even possible that Moses would have received a, some kind of a pharaohship, if I can use that word. He could have been a mighty ruler in that day, in that kingdom in some day. Who knows how far he would have gone. But he turned it all down by faith. Moses didn't know what lay before him. He didn't know that he was going to lead the children of Israel for these 40 years. He didn't know that God was going to call him up to Mount Sinai and give him the Ten Commandments. He didn't know that he was going to be in such close communion with God. He didn't know any of these things. It was by faith that he moved. And we rejoice when we read this because we understand ourselves how frightened we often are when the Lord begins to call us or when we have choices in this life even that are set before us. And it is by faith that we choose the, wor- the road less traveled, even as Robert Frost writes in his poem, the less traveled, it's not trampled by all the children of this world. It's a way, a solitary way, it seems to us oftentimes, as we travel along that road. But yet we know that we are not alone. We are surrounded by a company of angels, by a company of saints. We know that we are led by the good bishop and shepherd of our souls, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's by faith. We look at Moses' life. We know that he took wrong turns. 
He stepped ahead of the Lord. He, in, when he intervened, for example, in that battle with the Hebrew and, and the Egyptian, and the Egyptian died, he was stepping outside of the bounds that the Lord had established for him. And he went into exile, as it were, into the wilderness. But as we look backward, we see that even through these experiences, the Lord was preparing Moses for that great task that he had for him in what we would call his great old age. Oh, that we also might continue to walk in faith, praying daily that the Lord would give us faith so that we are able to walk by faith. We do not walk by sight. We know that. Even as Jesus tells us, the kingdom of God does not come by observation. We don't dare to walk that way, but rather we walk in accordance to God's word, in the light of that word that he has given to us. And when as his children we are able to walk in that way, we know that we receive those blessings from heaven. When we have ourselves been partakers of that mercy that Jesus came to bring to us, that truth has shined into our own hearts as beggars of grace. We have come to know that we are sinners and that Jesus died for us and that his blood even today is able to blot out every sin and that that sin is drowned in the sea of grace, buried in that sea of grace, never to be remembered anymore. How blessed we are that we are able to walk in this way, knowing that our sins are forgiven and that we have a home in heaven. Oh, that we also then might be able to put our thoughts there where they need to be. Uh, Paul, in writing to Titus, speaks to him in this way, that the grace of God, the grace of God speaks to us in this way. And there are two things in that portion that Paul brings forth to Titus. The first is that we deny this natural portion and all of those desires that are there. We don't focus, you see, on what this natural portion wants, but we focus upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and his coming again. That's the hope that we have. That's the hope that we live by, which is more than a hope. The English language is totally inadequate to express the true meaning of that hope as it is expressed to us in the New Testament. It's not a hope such as, I hope that tomorrow is a nice day. But it's a sure hope. It's a sure knowledge that those treasures are ours. It's a sure knowledge that we have a home in heaven. It's a sure knowledge that Jesus is our Savior. It's a sure knowledge that we do not walk alone, but that we dare to possess those words that he speaks to us. Even when he says, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We do not walk alone, but we walk with him and with him alone. At the Further on in this same chapter from Luke that I read, uh, Jesus speaks about the lilies of the field and how they grow and how God clothes those things that are natural. And he says, How much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek not ye what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Doesn't that cause your heart to rejoice this morning, 
fear not. That's Jesus speaking. His words, fear not, little flock. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. We cannot purchase that kingdom. There's nothing that we can do of ourselves of this natural portion to deserve that kingdom. There is nothing that we can do to say, I am so good that I, des- need, that I deserve to have a portion of that inheritance. But he gives it to us, just as he gave it to the prodigal son in that parable that Jesus spoke. The prodigal son who wasted all of his substance in riotous living, discovered that he was dying, and thought, oh, how good it would be to be back there in the Father's house, where there is plenty for all. Gone was his youthful arrogance. Now he was humbled. He knew in his heart that being in the Father's house, no matter what his position there would be, even as a servant, would be better than nothing at all, because there was life there and salvation. And so he begins, and there is to walk that journey back, and there is the Father to meet him, outside already to meet that lost son even as today the Lord God through his word and his spirit calls those wandering lost souls back home and that comfort is to us as well that we also do not fear for we know that his eye is upon us and that he calls us continues to call us to remain and to be his children the father gave the prodigal son invited him into that home where the into that house where the servants clothed him and so on we know the story i'm sure just as here in the kingdom of god's grace as children come desiring to be in that father's house they are waited upon and served by those servants who are there who clothe them through the word, with that garment of everlasting praise, that garment of righteousness that God, uh, through faith, through our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, imputes unto us, as we know that faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's not that those who come, the prodigal son, did not deserve to be called into the Father's house, to be invited in, but it was the grace and the love of God that invited him in. Not so long ago, I spoke with, had an opportunity to visit an elder sister who desired to know that her sins were forgiven. She had attended church for many, many years and had even attended Bible studies many, many times. And finally, she received the grace to repent from the very depths of her heart. And she, as she herself, seemed to testify. And she told me afterwards, she said, You know, Earl, I used to hear that parable, I'd come to church and hear the sermon of the prodigal son, and I would think, boy, that father, that father did not do right. That son didn't deserve to be asked back into that home. He had left it. He took his inheritance. And she said, I thought that father had done wrong, no matter what the Bible said about it. But she said, now, now I understand. Now I understand why the father invited that son in. You see, she had come to taste of the mercy and grace of God herself. She knew that she herself had been a prodigal daughter who was invited back 
into that father's house where we, she receives such good news. Your sins are forgiven in Jesus' name and precious atoning blood. There is a place reserved for you in heaven. She was able to understand that now from her heart. And because her heart was filled with the love of God, because she had tasted of his mercy and grace, she was now able to extend that same love, that same mercy, that same grace to others. Isn't the work of the Lord in our hearts marvelous? The way that he establishes himself in our hearts. We know that this does not come in any intellectual, in any fleshly way, but it is the work of God in our hearts and in our lives. God said to this poor soul in our text who thought, well, this is the way to enjoy life. I'm going to take everything I have and I'm going to, I'll say to my soul, You've got, you have, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? Indeed, a good question. Who shall those things be which thou hast provided? They're all left behind. Here, in this time, and in this place. Many years ago, I remember standing at a window in a school building with a couple of other fellows, one of who was known to be someone who uh, enjoyed making money and hanging onto it. Uh, to the last dime. And we watched uh, a funeral procession go by. And the other fellow uh, spoke. One of the, the guys there said, you know, as he spoke to the first guy, he said, you know, there's something that isn't there. He said, I've never yet seen a Brinks armored truck following a funeral hearse to the cemetery. It's all left here. And I thought to myself, as we spoke there even, said, yes, that is true. We can have all kinds of earthly treasures. Our bank accounts can be overflowing. But it's left here. It's left here. And then what? Jesus asked this man, Who shall those things be? What treasures do you have? As he speaks to this individual. What treasures do you have? Or speaks of this individual. What treasures do you have? Does he have? Who shall those things be which thou hast provided? God asks. Jesus says, So is he that layeth up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. The Lord has spoken to us very earnestly this morning, desiring that we would have our eyes focused upon our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and upon that joy that he is able to bring to us in our lives. We read the words of Jesus also as recorded in the Sermon on the Mount. Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Oh, I pray that our treasure, every one of us has a treasure in heaven. And that our focus is there, that we are looking up even this moment into the very face of Jesus. For we know that as he gazes down upon us, 
His concern is that we might continue to be his disciples, children of the Heavenly Father. Let's remember the promises that we have in Scripture, which, is, which assures, assure us of the presence of God in our lives and of also that, of that sure fact that if we have fallen short, if there is sin that presses upon our heart, even today, we may open our mouths and hear that our sin is forgiven in Jesus' name and precious atoning blood, so that we are able to continue walking hand in hand with those who walk with us, that company of saints. To that end, may the Lord bless us. In Jesus' name, amen.